Welcome, travelers. I'm Josh. I'm Glenn. And I'm Lee Wanika. This is Tabletop Journeys, where we will be your humble guides along the journey to RPG adventures. Role-playing inspiration can come from anywhere, and we use our side quest to explore TV shows, movies, books, and other RPGs that influence our playstyle and storytelling. Whether we draw from intriguing plot points, amazing characters, or, well, you know, just kind of geek out about it, it should be a fun trip, and we're glad you came along for the ride. from today's sponsor. Hey everybody, Mr. Dave here. I want to tell you all about... Oh, Mr. Dave! Mr. Dave! Hey Arnold, what can I do for you? I was just about to tell everybody all about the show. That's why I'm here. I thought of a wonderful way to do the commercial. Oh yeah? What's that? In song. It's educational. It's sensational. It's our puppet invitational. To join us each week for some fun. Sit back and relax. Grab some popcorn, some snacks, and get ready for the show. Sing along and get to know the sensation across the nation. It's a music-filled vacation. All your senses will be whirring and your brain cells will be stirring. It's the show you want to say. It's fun time with Mr. Dave. That was a great idea, Arnold. You can find Fun Time with Mr. Dave on Facebook and Instagram at Dave the Entertainer and on YouTube by searching Mr. Dave with an exclamation mark. See you next time. Welcome everybody to today's episode. Today we are going to be diving into the latest Unearthed Arcana that Wizards of the Coast put out. It is the four lineages of the Feywild, and uh, I hope that we'll have a chance to talk at the end of the episode a little bit about where we think that this might be going. Uh, but first, we're going to do uh, a deep dive into the lineages themselves as they were presented. They were fairly short, so we're going to make this just a side quest instead of a full-length episode, uh, but we still have lots of things to go ahead and talk about in there. We're not going to rehash too much of the beginning of the UA, because really, when it gets into the character creation uh, of this particular UA, it's really just reiterating all of the character creation rules that they already set out in Tasha's. So if you're familiar with them, with the, the concept of, uh, of the malleable ability score increases and uh, the various languages that you can get and the traits that are available basically to any lineage at character generation, you're going to be covered on the first page there. Before we get too into the episode, though, the first thing that I want to do is thank one of our uh, Twitter followers at our Dorkly or the three pillars of D&D cast. Uh, they gave a really great uh, review for us on their Twitter feed today. Um, and we just wanted to go ahead and take a minute and thank them for taking the time to do that. We appreciate the, uh, the shout out uh, and anybody else out there that would like to uh, give a review on any of our podcasts on any of the various platforms that we're featured on or, or even on Twitter or on Facebook, we would appreciate any of those also. 
Thanks, guys. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, guys. And I got to tell you, reviews are great. Uh, when we first started this podcast, which was one of the things that this review was talking about, one of our earlier episodes or earlier set of episodes, we struggled with a lot of things. Sound quality, most specific. You nothing about nothing. <laughs> yeah, we were to say we were learning is a, is an undersell of the highest order. And what I really loved about the comment was that they called out the fact that the content was good. The conversation was great. They knew where we were going and they were looking forward to more. Despite the sound issues, it was worth dealing with the sound issues on those early apps to hear the conversation. And that's really what we were going for. We wanted to have a great conversation and it's wonderful when people out there in the community appreciate it. And so we thank, we thank all of you who have, who have listened to it. Those two background episodes, by the way, are still in our top 10 episodes all time. And we thank the reviewers, you guys, from our hearts to yours. Awesome. Thank you so much for what you do. Uh, we look forward to hearing from more. Absolutely. And that's the same kind of uh, approach we're going to bring right to everything else that we do, too. So as we're moving into the next phase of our content creation and we're actually working on some publications that hopefully you'll see on DMs Guild soon, we're going to go the same route. We're going to put out awesome content. Our artwork might not be the most amazing off the bat, but what's inside it will be worth it. All right. Speaking of getting inside, let's dive in here. So we're going to tackle all of these lineages uh, in the order that they were presented in uh, in the UA here. So the first one that we have up here are the fairies. And Glenn, uh, the fairies were your assignment for this particular episode. So dive in. What struck you about the, the way that they wrote out these fae uh, uh, in the UA? So I'm going to be honest. And uh, there's going to be, because it's a, a legit related story, an unintentional shout out to uh, our supporter Dave Herrera and the Mr. Dave show and his game Dragon Eggs. Because that got me thinking about role playing with kids a lot. And when I was going through the Feywild, the first thing I came across was the fairy. And it made me think of how obsessed my daughter was with Fern Gully when she was younger. Movie, I mean... Love Batty Coda. <laughs> it was hysterical. She forever would do the Batty thing. Yeah. Um, and it was so much fun. And that's the first thing that grabbed me. And that's just kind of where I went with it. So I kind of envisioned it like creating a fairy that would live in the world of Fern Gully, but merged with D&D &D so they can get out and be, you know, pesky to the halflings and everybody else, too, if they want to be or helpful, whatever, because um, they're escaping the Feywild or at least taking sojourns from it. Um, so that's the first one I really dug into. And I got to say, it was a lot of fun because on the upside, just the concept of a fairy comes with a whole lot of flavor on its own that just conjures automatically into the imagination of every person, child or adult, from everything from Tinkerbell to Fern Gully to a bazillion other shows or tropes where you have the pesky pixie or the Trixie sprite, though those are separate races in D&D &D acknowledged. It still summons all of that flavor. So it's really easy to get caught up in that. And I did like a lot of what they did. One of the first things you run across is they're talking about it. They give you a, just a general description, but they give you this table of characteristics because, you know, all fairies can be a little bit different to choose from. And I really think it's a little bit limited, but it's, you're only limited by your imagination. So, I mean, that wasn't like a downer for me per se. I just, I really thought there could have been a couple of better options yeah. in there, but you can come up with anything you want for that. So if you want to be a fairy, rock it. You just come up with your own magical thing. You could leave a trail of dust behind you like Tinkerbell did or, or what have you. 
agree with you on that. So when I first saw that, I circled that because look, anybody that's listened to any of our episodes knows that we all have mad love for roll tables. And we don't necessarily love roll tables because we want to roll against them, but we want that in those nuggets of inspiration. Like if you're going to throw 12, right. if you're going to throw 12 things into a table, I'm not going to roll the D12 necessarily, but I'm going to pick one. And I agreed with you. I think that they could have gone a step further with this particular roll table uh, than they did. I, I look at like the the Fae touched feet in in Tasha's that had a very similar roll table, but had more it had more je ne sais quoi. It had a it had a little bit more flavor to it. it had a little it had bit more pizzazz. Yeah, it had a little bit more spice in the sauce. And and this was this was a little bit mundane. I believe in the last episode we recorded, I coined the phrase, this is not necessarily weak sauce, but it may be a bit bland, be bland sauce. sauce. Yeah. Bland sauce. If they took that Faye touched table and added it to this and then rounded that. So you got 12 items. If it's shy of 12 or if it's over 12, add a few more and get it up to 20. Now you have a table where, cause I can see even the ones that I don't particularly like, that somebody might like these, right? So I'm fine with these being among the choices. What I found was that about it was that it was limiting because there were only eight choices. And we right. didn't like all the choices in the on the Fate Touched Feet either. And so I think that between the two right. of them, they can come up with a decent with with a decent set of choices. Yep. Yep. Right. Yeah. Between the two of them, add a few more. To, it, it is a lineage. There is a group of people in amongst a group of people who adherence to a specific thing is not their way that's not the fey way right so for me making that table 20 would have been the go-to and incorporate the things that are in the fey feet and maybe that's what we'll get when it passes play testing and into whatever publication it comes out in maybe they'll be able to blow up that list based on our feedback which we'll make sure we do we'll talk about that obviously feedback very important we'll touch touch on that at the end of the episode but all right glenn we interrupted you go ahead carry on with the uh, with your with, with the traits no worries. Um, I still had a lot of fun creating my fairy despite that, but I did run into a couple of other spots that made me go a little bit, hmm, and feel slightly let down. Because, I mean, there's some stuff that I expected. Obviously, you're fey. I knew I was going to be small, maybe tiny, but then they threw in that bit in the description where fairies are bigger than sprites uh, and uh, pixies, and they give you a small instead of a tiny category. Okay, but how big? When I'm describing myself and I'm creating my fairy, what's their average height span? What's their, you know, some kind of an idea of, is it almost halfling sized? I was looking for a little bit more help on the physical description of what the fairy is going to look like. Obviously it's a fairy, so you can have all kinds of wild colors, hairs, and anything else you want, but um, just for general physical description and size. But then it's got some solid fairy flavor. It's got fairy flight, so you can fly or hover, same as your walking speed, which is really cool. As a storyteller, uh, from that perspective, it's rough to run a 3D combat. But as a player, man, flight is amazing because now you're unlimited in where you can go. So as a player, you got to love it. And then it picks up some magic flavor with fairy fire and druid craft, just as innate abilities um, that it can use once a day without expending a spell slot, but then afterwards, you know, you'll need the spell slot if you want to use it again once per long rest. So it gives you a few fair things, but by far my favorite fairy ability is Fey Passage. The ability to squeeze through a space as narrow as one inch wide. And that's magic, so you can't take that to mean that a fairy is only one inch wide, you know, so that doesn't give us the physical size still, but that's my favorite ability. That 
That that's the, like the the icing on the cake, yeah, right? That's there. the ability to fly through the through the keyhole in the lock. Yeah, exactly. The ferry is a lot of fun. I think it definitely had a couple of spots that came out weak. We'll give them some good feedback on that, and hopefully it'll tighten up before it comes out again. When I made the ferry that I made to try to help test out the the tropes and the ideas behind the class, I just leaned into the tropes and I went with an arcane trickster, and it was a lot of fun to make that because it fabulous. fits right into it because it's already got the magic going on you know and you got the 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 tricksy fairy kind of gig so i just leaned right into all of those tropes and uh, i had a whole lot of fun creating him and he would be a lot of fun to play i'm not entirely certain as a player how i'm ready to wrap my mind around being a tiny flying person yet because i haven't tried it (laughs) yeah i'm six four I, i do tend to play the small races i like being halflings i like being gnomes um you know it's like you always want what you could never have. I could never be short. So apparently that's what I'm after. But that just seems a little bit too small. I don't want to be bug squishable. And it's just, I need a little bit of, I need a little bit to wrap my brain around it as a player before approaching like a full-size orc as a fairy with my tiny little rapier. These tiny little things going up against larger creatures. So I really think of the brownies and willow when it comes to that. The brownies and willow, perfect. (laughs) They like, ah, man! They would take on anybody. I don't Thank care. Kitty. It could have been the biggest. Thank you. Ah! I, I think that, that that to me that's not a stretch. I am five three, however. So <laughs> um, take that for what you will. I can do it now. But, You've told me how. Now I've got it. Yeah. I can play this character. So one of the things you mentioned, and I just wanted to throw this out there, um, you talked about how they didn't give a lot for the physical description. I have noticed that UAs tend not to when it comes to size categories. And I believe there's two reasons for that. One is mechanical. It doesn't matter whether you're at the top end or the low end of that scale. You are mechanically fitting in a certain space. So the fact that you're small means no different than a half leg. That's the space you occupy. You can be in the same space with another small. You can walk or a medium. You can walk under all these other things. You can fit under a table. So it's about the space you occupy, not the actual size. So I believe what they're saying without saying it, and I will agree with you that they should just say it, you pick your size. And I get that. But your but your size category is X, Y, or Z. I think that that's, they should explicitly say those words. That's how you help players who are playing an adventure league and maybe has somebody who's not as advanced in their craft or playing at a convention or playing at a new table or just a pickup game. They walked into a new shop because they were on vacation and they had a few, a couple hours. They just sat in uh, or they just grabbed into a random group online because it's hard to find storytellers. It's hard to find DMs out there. So they just found a posting on a random Facebook group and there was an opening for a digital game and they went on and played it. Explicitly stating things like that help a lot. And I agree with you. It should be stated that way even though I logically think I understand why it was done the way it was. No, and I, I, I get that. From a mechanical standpoint, I get exactly why they're trying to narrow it down just to the size categories. But us getting past the mechanic standpoint for looking at the flavor, um, what really helped me envision the races of D&D growing up and as a kid, the scale depictions where you got the dragons this big, the ogres this big, the persons this big, but then you got the next one where you got an elf beside a dwarf beside a human to kind of like to to see out the scale. Flavor-wise, I mean, in a, in a new race where you're not able to actually get any artwork, artwork yet, whether it's going to be scaled or not, I was just thinking, saying that they range between one and a half to two and a half feet tall, because they're probably not going to be three feet like a halfling, I would assume. I just have liked that flavor. 
I can see that. That that's that's the spice I needed in my sauce. <laughs> All right, let's uh, let's move on then. So the next one uh, in the UA were the hobgoblins, uh, and I was very very lucky to get this draw um, as the the lineage that I was going to talk about. There's a lot to love uh, as from a flavor point of view in the Hobgoblins. And when I, I find it funny that when I read through it kind of the first time, I came up with one concept. But then uh, when I did the same thing that Glenn did and wrote up a character with this lineage, I came up with a very, very different concept as I started doing it. A couple of things that I uh, found to emphasize in, uh, in the Hobgoblins the hobgoblins are built on this concept of reciprocity and affecting for good or for ill uh, the people that are with them, right? So either they are um, either they are bad guys and kind of uh, uh, negatively impacting people within uh, a certain range of them, or if they're in a party, they are spending a lot of their time aiding uh, their compatriots, their allies, right? And so they they go into some of the history of how the hobgoblins are starting to. Uh, appear in in Forgotten Realms, and so spoiler alert: I suspect that this means that we've got a Feywild book coming out in the next few months. But that's you know, I, right? It's kind of like we saw the Gothic lineages, and then we saw Ravenloft. Right. We see Feywild lineages, probably a Feywild book coming out, right? Or at um, least a campaign book. At least a campaign book, right? So, yeah, you know, but that's that's basically the hobgoblins. The, the hobgoblins deal is that they are going to be kind of they're that push pull influence right they're they're not the one that's going to be doing the damage from afar they're the ones that are going to be aiding the allies that are with them and helping them do damage or helping them recover or anything like that i thought for the most part the the traits that they got uh kind of like we saw with the fairy the traits weren't overwhelming right they they seemed they were. I think I liked them better than the fairies, but I I I still thought that they were a little bit pedestrian. And I think I, I use that word a lot, right? <laughs> but that's kind of that's kind of how I felt about that. Um, and I will continue to bang on the can that why are we giving every lineage dark vision? Every lineage gets dark vision, and I we gotta start coming up with something else to give lineages. We just do. I hear you, but this one needs it. I will have to cut you off on that one, Josh. And while I almost always agree with you, that's because the Hobgoblin came out a very long time ago and this lineage had it to begin with. It has had dark vision in every iteration from the beginning of D&D. It's a goblinoid. I get it. I know. If any of them need to have it, it's this one. My issue is if new ones come out and, and, and they have it, I agree with you. But this one had it all along. Fairy does not. No, fa- fa- exactly. I thought that they, it must, I figured it must have been a typo in fairy. They'll probably have I it when the book comes out. I was surprised too. Like that's, you know, so, you know, short of that, uh, short of that quibble, I will say quibble. I thought that their powers were, were fine. Um, again, still kind of, still, still kind of basing itself off of how are they affecting the people that they, you know, the people that are in their direct area, right? Um, the one thing that I will say is that their fey gift power, um, again, this this goes to the, the concept that I had when I first wrote it, when I first looked at it versus the concept that I eventually wound up settling on. Um, but when you, when they get fey gift, the ability to go ahead and take the help action for specific, act, uh, for specific uh, purposes, either hospitality where you can help 
your your allies gain uh, they can gain temporary hit points or passage, which will help them uh, move faster. Or the one that I loved, spite, uh, which uh, helps impose disadvantage on on people that your allies are facing. Um, I want to be a swashbuckler and run with a hobgoblin as a as a as an ally. I think that having having that hobgoblin there to go ahead and impose disadvantage to make sure that I'm getting my sneak attack bonus every time. Absolutely. I will chef's kiss. I will take that every single. So the, the, eventually the concept that I settled on for the hobgoblin, um, when I started looking at how, you know, the hobgoblin, uh, you know, the powers that it's got where it's, it's aiding its allies and everything like that. Eventually what I settled on was a hobgoblin sorcerer, a wild magic sorcerer. Now, for those of you listening to this episode, let me preface. I picked Sorcerer for the same reason uh, that I picked that that uh, I thought that there was some really good synergy with the Hobgoblin. When I saw the Wild Magic, we, we had just done our Sorcerer episode not that long ago. Wild Magic and Hobgoblin and Fey just seemed like a natural combination. And I need to reiterate, this build is basically Rumpelstiltskin. I do not think that it would make a good PC. <laughs> I think that if you were playing this character with the spells that I picked and the feats that I picked and and the the desire of this character just to mess with everything in its immediate area does not make it a good PC. I, it is designed to be a wildly taunting, uh, distantly illusion-casting, annoying plot device NPC. And I was a little mad at myself for making it. It is what it is. There are so many ways that Wild Magic emphasized the ability to cast illusions and to confuse uh, a, a party of, of travelers who just happen to be passing within the, the, the cops of woods that this hobgoblin decides to take home. Uh, I mean, things like um, when I got up to, to tier two and I got its first uh, ASI or feat choice, um, the feat that I took was actor. Um, and the reason why I wound up taking actor is because what does actor give me? It gives me benefits on all my, it gives me benefits to my charisma checks, including an additional plus one on charisma, which I took as its highest skill. Also, I, I then get I get advantage on charisma checks and saves. So with all of these powers that are intrinsically charisma based, we've said this before. The number one game mechanic that will ensure success in D and D is the ability to roll more dice when other people are rolling fewer dice. Like that's that's the name of the game. Rolling more dice helps you succeed. You know, and then when you start throwing in all of the meta magic that the sorcerer gets, you know, where you get to the ability to do subtle spell and distant spell. So now I can go ahead and cast things from further away, and I can cast things when you're looking right at me and you don't know that I'm doing it. I mean, it, it, again, I needed a shower afterwards, uh, because I just felt, I felt dirty for writing up this character. Um, and, and again, I think that if a character came to my table and said, this is the character that I want to play, I would say, no, I, you know, I, I'm going to keep that safe for you. And then it will be an NPC that they feed, that they meet in game number one and realize why they never actually wanted to play it in the first Fair place. enough. Fair enough. Well, that's okay. You, you went after it from your storyteller's heart and, uh, you created a, character that you knew you could see yourself using oh, and yeah. interacting with your party with yeah. and having a great time with. Like, I am going to apologize to the players in my game who are listening to this podcast because this character is going to make an appearance. He, he, it, it, that's going to happen. I did like that they focused on the fact that Hobgoblins are kind of team players. Um, I mean, they tend to be very loyal 
Uh, they actually, and for, you know, a goblinoid race, they take very good care of their equipment. Like their equipment's usually immaculate. I mean, they're excellent warriors. They often have honor. If I had done Hobgoblin, Goblin, I might have leaned into the paladin trope because it's got the same helping uh, your allies with either assistance from healing or movement speed. So I think that could really be a lot of fun with it, too. Absolutely. I love Hobgoblins. I've actually become a bit of a fan of the Goblinoid races. I run them a bit differently in my homebrew campaign because as a people, I think they are one. I treat people lineages as people not a mass of good guys or a mass of bad guys. They're individuals or individual political entities, what have you. But within that framework, there is still something of a hierarchy. There is still something of a downtroddenness with one group. There's still something of a, these are the bulk of them. These are the warrior cast, so to speak, uh, of the others. And I think sometimes we can get a lot of narrative uh, traction without being demeaning towards a group of people by leaning into some of those tropes. And I thought that this particular Fey lineage did a great job of picking up those threads and throwing some Fey bullshit on it. And, uh, <laughs> I, I, yeah. I, and I love me some Fey bullshit. <laughs> Putting a positive spin on the Wonder Pets attitude of the Hobgoblins. Yeah, uh, I thought that was excellent. I will say that there, there was one major limiting factor to the Hobgoblin Sorcerer. And I'll just go ahead and, th- and add this on there also before we before we move on. A hobgoblin sorcerer is going to be really constrained by its inability to have more than one concentration spell running at the same time. Because all the best spells that a, that, that character is going to want to use require concentration. I think that, that is something, you know, there are some interesting homebrew ideas out there about concentration and how to kind of play with concentration as a concept, but that's that's the one major constraint to this character. And I think, honestly, that's the one thing that's going to keep this character in check and not be overpowered. Because otherwise, uh, again, this character would would steamroll over pretty much uh, anything and anybody that it wanted to. So Fair enough, fair enough. So after the Hobgoblin, the next one, because there are only three of us, was the one that we all decided we'd talk about as a group. Uh, to my knowledge, none of us actually built the character based on this one, but it was an interesting one, and it was actually... I almost picked it. It was actually, if I were going to have made a second choice, honestly, this would have been the second yeah, choice. Absolutely. Because <laughs> I just wanted to have somebody say, oh, what's what's the one you're going to do? Who? 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 Awful. Who? It's the owl folk. Deplorable. Deplorable. Ah. <laughs> yeah, I did. Uh, I, I saw on Twitter earlier. That was um, awesome. Lady. That was awesome. There's a, uh, there's a Twitter uh, account that I follow that is, um, that is bad character ideas. And it was, I'm trying to remember what class it was. Oh, I, I think it was a, a, a wizard, a, like a, not, not path of tomes. What's the, the, the super scholarly wizard subclass. Order of Scribes. Order of Scribes, thank you. Yes. An Order of Scribes wizard who spends his entire life trying to find the answer to the question of how many licks it takes to get to the inside of a Tootsie Pop. That's almost as bad as my idea, which was going to be a owl folk bard who ran around singing on his lute, Who made who? Oh. Who made you? Oh. That was bad. None of these are bad. <laughs> None of these are good. Which is too bad because the owl folk lineage really is, I think, 
you know, again, like, I think all of us would have had it as our second pick, which is, which really says something that like, you know, it, so on some level, it would seem like that would put it kind of in like the second tier below the other three, but I actually don't think so. I think that like from a, from a structural point of view, it takes a lot of the characteristics that we like about the fairies, you know, their ability to, to fly and their ability to, to be, they're very nimble, like an owl folk assassin would be incredible. Um, I'd had here yes. an owl folk wizard, obviously, too, because of the presence of like wisdom and their propensity for libraries and everything like that. But again, I think that that's kind of tropey. Like if you think about an owl folk, like wizard's almost the natural one. I think, like I said, an owl folk assassin would be great. I was thinking owl folk. Yeah. See, oh. they threw in that stealth skill, calling uh, it silent feathers. And that's, that's what brings in that whole second option. It takes you away from that scholarly trope and right yeah. into the... I'm a sneaky freaking bird of prey who hunts in the night and you don't see anything coming. Or uh, a bard of whispers, uh, owl folk. I, I think there are so many great, great options with this particular one. One of the things that I really liked about this was it was one of the two that had the ability to choose either small or medium for your, for your character size. And I thought in keeping with what Tasha's is doing, that is excellent. That allows a great deal of visualization, depending on what you're doing. Do you build the one who's small uh, or do you build the one that's medium? Because I think, one, owls are pretty scary birds. I love them. I don't have any harm. I don't wish any harm on them. Please don't take it that way out there in the audience. <laughs> the owl that's listening to the podcast is going to get you tonight. They're very cool, but they are a predator. But they are a predator, and they can be frightening if you come across them and are not expecting them. And I can promise you this. You will never surprise an owl. They will surprise you. When I was younger, I had the opportunity to go look for bird pelts and owl pelts specifically. And some of the things that we found while dissecting these pelts when I was a youngster, science experiments, biology experiments, and things like that were just amazing to me. I was fascinated by these creatures, and I remain so to this day. And so I really thought that being able to play a character that leans into that, that's why I thought Phantom. Because when you're making those trinkets, it's almost like his soul pelt. I got you. I thought that that was amazing. Yeah, you're you're finding the the full on skull in it. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly where I was going with it. And I thought cuz he, you know, he's ended somebody and now he's captured their soul and made a trinket. Like, like ingested them. Oh. <laughs> that is pretty damn cool. Oh. I, I mean, I'm thinking this is a serious like could you imagine this character being like in charge of a of a thieves guild? Oh. I, I mean, Owls are known to be wise, whatever. I would so lean into making him the leader of a thieves guild or whatever. I'm Where the guild's so not underground, ideas. it's at the top of a clock tower somewhere. Oh, yes, yes, yes. In a big city. <laughs> okay, yeah. That would be a good time. I'm picturing this in, like, Waterdeep or something like that. I mean, I'm thinking that could be a lot of fun. A lot of fun. And there are officially enough avian lineages now where you could play a party of avians. And I think that would change the dynamic of having a couple party members with flight powers or whatever could would be challenging between this. And even if there were a couple flight less birds, say Kenku or whatever, that could be an, a really cool one shot. Or you could make a campaign out of it, too. You'll just really need to work with a lot of theater of the mind stuff for the full three-dimensionality of of that flight or underwater. Either one adds to the game. 
Yeah, absolutely. But I really loved this one, and I thought it just lended itself to so many different things. But I certainly took this one dark. That's in my head. I went dark with this. See, I could go either way with it. I could have a lot of fun making like a dark hero or a dark knight, if you will, but slightly different out of the out of the trope as well. You know, just leaning into like the vigilante thing. Um, same theory, clock tower. You got watchtower going on. Think comic books, Lee. You're you're with me now. I, I am, I, and I was thinking of the Court of Owls in uh, of Batman fame, to be specific. Although, to be fair, the first thing that I truly thought of, and it's not owlish at all, was the leathery reptilian bird people that sucked the souls out of everybody. They wrapped their wings around in Beastmaster. Yes. Why would you yes. bring those up? Those were like a scary ass monster ally thing at that time for me. And, Why would and I you could say see that? that with this? I'm never going to sleep again. My bad, dude. <laughs> Do you, do you remember them? Oh, yeah. No, I remember them. Of course you do. All right. I had buried um, but that. I had repressed that I thought. Do, I did kind of have an epiphany, and I uh, need to acknowledge that apparently I need to get over something, because you're right. When I'm looking at this size, they're saying you can be medium or small, and there's another one in here as well, and it's because they're saying that these races can be so varied in size, especially since they're from the Feywild, that you can literally dream up whatever you want to be for your size, your shape, etc., and I was being narrow-minded. I apologize. That's a benefit. Well, from there, I guess we're moving on to the rabbit folk. This is the one that I took for my homework assignment. And I immediately went to this one. And because like any great tabletop game, specifically any great D&D game, we always go back to Monty Python. Yes, I am talking about, look at the little bunny. <laughs> no, look at the fangs. I just jumped immediately at this, and I had a couple things that I thought about it, and I knew what jumped I jumped immediately at the rabbit folk. Really, hopped yes. right on it. Yes, I, I hopped. I hopped right over the other ones to this one. Yes, I did open the door, and I did that on purpose because I went to build one of the first for the first time. I have never built one in five E before a barbarian. So yes, <laughs> I built Amazing. a rabbit folk bar fey barbarian. <laughs> that's awesome i will get into the specifics when we start talking about these characters but let me just say this much not only did i build a rabbit folk barbarian i and in my attempts to grow and expand my player knowledge in my attempts to expand my storyteller knowledge and try different things realized when listening to one of our older episodes that i was very down on wild magic and 5e didn't care for it didn't want anything to do with it i felt it left a lot of things out but I also said in that same episode that any one of these things could still be fun to play. So when I chose this barbarian, I specifically went for the wild magic barbarian because Excellent I choice. thought, how was anything else <laughs> Fey and barbarian going to be anything sorcerer. else? Yeah. Perfect so that's, that is how I rolled. That is how I will continue to roll. I, it, you're going to see this in that several things that we do. Even if I may have spoken, like this isn't my necessarily my favorite, or this is the thing that I'm doing. I am always going to be trying new things and different things, and I encourage our audience to do the same. I'm purposefully going to pick things that I may not have wanted to pick or may not have thought were statistically the best or logistically the best because I want to see if the things I say can also be true. So far, I can guarantee you, because not only did I build the character that I think is going to be fun to talk about, I built the character that I am desperate to play in a game. 
Uh, and I think that is the, tr the best thing you can say about any character you, you make is how desperate are you to play this character? And I am desperate to play this character. So in addition to the, just being able to choose your size, you also have hair trigger, which I think is amazingly funny. Any character that you get proficient, you have your proficiency bonus to your initiative rolls is going to be awesome. Especially as a barbarian. That's a great feature for a barbarian. Yeah, I mean... Yeah, it, every it, one of these traits fits the barbarian pretty good. Yep. Yeah. Uh, then you have your leperine senses. So you have per, uh, proficiency and perception. Never a bad skill. Perception and uh, will always be a good thing to have in this game. And then you get lucky footwork. When you fail a dexterity saving throw, you can use your reaction and roll a d4 to add to that. That combined with uh, what barbarians get at later levels as far as your ability to avoid dexterity issues is amazing. Um, dexterity is one of the most often used saves. So you are more often than not going to have to save versus a dex issue. And you're now doing better at it than almost anybody else in, at the table. Yeah, you may as well just roll those dice together. Just throw the d20 and yeah. the d4 at the same time. And because it, it, it's limitless, it, other than it's your reaction. So unless you've got a reaction thing that you're doing or you're saving it for an attack of opportunity, you might as well go. I don't I don't know how many... I'd have to think... I'd have to really think about that, but I don't know that barbarians have too many reaction abilities. They, no, I think that fits into their action economy nicely. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I believe unless they're shooting for... Unless they have some of the feats that allow them to use a reaction, only thing they've got going for them in that direction would be attack of opportunity. So, uh, absolutely. Uh, and then finally, rabbit hop. Should we drum roll for this one? Last but not least, if the rest of them didn't already make the barbarian crazy? Yeah, uh, I mean, honestly, it's it's sick how well this particular lineage fits the barbarian class. And I just thought it was brilliant. I, there's nothing about this that I that I don't like. The only thing that I, I, I there is one quibble that I've got with this. I, I not to be a Debbie Downer because I agree with you. I think I think barbarian. No dark vision. Oh, I cut I cut him off before he got to actually talk about what Rabbit Hop was though. Well, uh, that's okay because Rabbit Hop is the one that I'm going to talk about because I, I think that Rabbit Hop. Uh, the problem with Rabbit Hop is not is not actually the power itself, right? The the power. The, the nope. Even the name is fine. The, the problem increment. is that. The increment, exactly. Glenn knows exactly where I'm going with this. Saw the exact same hole. It's cool, but you get you, you get you get a d12 worth of feet on a five square grid. Right. <laughs> so how does that work if you roll a seven? It doesn't. I mean, that's the problem. Is that it? That's that does not work. Um, and so, but the problem is like I'm not exactly sure how to fix it. Make it a flat a flat ten foot leap flat 10 foot leap exactly but i think 10 feet's probably too much and five feet might not be enough so maybe you know like a d2 I, and i think the goal is to get at least a, a range that covers the three blocks right three five foot blocks so i think the answer to that is you roll a d6 on a one and two you get five feet on a three and four you get 10 feet on a five or, uh, and on a five or six you get 15, uh, feet. 15 feet yeah and i, I think that. that's the that way you do it that could work i mean 15's far but i mean 12's into that square so so and for me, if I were if I were storytelling at this table, I would probably for ease of movement and time, certainly if I'm in a virtual environment, 
not going to fight math all day. I would simply make that change. Uh, and I would invite as a player, I would ask my storyteller if they would feel comfortable doing it. I would even settle for not going more than 10 if it meant making it easier to deal with. Totally. Yeah. And yeah. That's, uh, and right. Giving yourself a 50 50 shot. You either go five feet or 10 feet. Yeah. And that's me as a player. Roll a d10 on evens, you go 10. On odds, you go five or something yeah, like that. Yeah. I said d2, but odds even, same gig. Yeah. I mean, but honestly, I do think the goal is to be able to be one two or three squares. So I would say a D6, which is just as easy to come up with. It's just as fast. You, you roll a die. It's one of the most common dice in the game, save a D20, and you're good to go. It, but uh, but I agree with you. I think the math on that is a bit of an issue. I didn't go there initially because, as I've often said, I'm not the math guy. So it didn't even phase me. What I did is I saw, oh, I can hop and add damage to that. And then if you're talking about a barbarian who gets as already uh, so uh, mobile. Imagine a monk. And I chose for my character a little bit of a preview, 30, uh, medium. So I'm moving 30 feet anyway. At a certain level, I get 10 feet. So I'm now moving 40 feet, and I can drop dice to get another 10 feet behind that, and that's without a dash. Exactly. That's in my single move. I'm moving close to 50 feet and uh, before I even get into uh, Tier 2 and still have an action credit where credit is due mr miller the rabbit folk barbarian you convinced me that's a brilliant yes. that's a brilliant combination it really is best build goes to liwalika absolutely i i will take that and i will yeah. give bonus points to the storyteller at our virtual table here that can tell me what is the name of a group of rabbits to herd of rabbits that's, that's boring it is a bit boring, but I am actually thinking about, could you imagine the drums coming over the sounds of the hills? The and then herd. And, 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 and then you've got... Herd. And, then you've, and then you've got Robert Plant in the background. Ah, I can't do that that high. But, I can't do that high voice. No. And they don't do have drummers. Voice. They just have stompers. Yeah. Well, they're thumping. That's their... That's oh yes! Oh. It's like stomp. I can just, I can, I can actually see that. Like, just what is that sound? It sounds like, you know, like a stampede of some kind. And it's like, you know, twelve. Oh, they're just they're, 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 they're in the distance. The they look like their ears first. <laughs> yeah, it's like it looks like rabbits, and then it's like what? They're and they have, <laughs> and they have great axes. <laughs> Or a rabbit, a rabbit barbarian horde that doesn't do the traditional screamy yell right before the battle to intimidate the other guys. Instead, they all crouch real low and just start stomping in unison until oh, yeah. the pebbles on the ground between the two armies start going hop, 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 and bouncing. Okay, that's, okay, that, that's amazing. Well done. Well done. Like, that's just amazing. You know, credit where credit is due. Wizards of the Coast obviously put effort and energy into having these things created. You know, they either commissioned or they did it in-house. I don't know which. They have a great set of character uh, lineages here. And we have come up with a number of builds, 8 to 10, just off the rip, that are picture perfect for each of these. However, it took us almost no time at all to come up with another 8 to 10 that would be awesome to do. And that's with a couple hours of looking at it or a, couple, you know, a, a, a short conversation based, and then us looking at it for a few hours uh, leading up to us uh, deciding to do this episode. You know, so I think that uh, we got to throw it up to, to Wizards for putting out some great product once again, hopefully. It's still in the design stages, and I think that's a great segue into 
what does it t- what does it take to get us all the way? Yep. Yeah. So I, I guess that's the one question that I wanted to ask here, and, and we can kind of uh, uh, use this as our final thoughts on the episode here. Is that do we think that between the content in Tasha's and the Fey content in Candlekeep, because there certainly was some, uh, and now this UA, do we think that we are actually going to get a Feywild book? out of Wizards of the Coast this year. Is that where they're going, or do we think that they're going someplace else? I'd like to say a book. I mean, usually when it comes out on on UA, it's going to be in a book. It may not be a full campaign. It may not be a full campaign setting. It may be like Curse of Strahd, where it had a lot of Ravenloft information pre-Ravenloft book, but I'd, I'd like to say we're getting something. Yep. Lou and Nico, what do you think? I think we're going to get something. I don't know if it's going to be within something else or if it's going to be its own thing. That's the part I don't know. I have a sense it's going to happen. Is it going to be a section within something or its own thing? I am leaning more towards that because while we have seen several pieces, some of them have already been published, vis-a-vis Tasha's, but Wizards has a tendency to like to re- uh, repatriate stuff as well. So maybe they do do something cl- more akin to a source book. I don't think they'll call it a source book, but something more akin to that. It's really hard to say. I was going to say, if they're going to go sections, just jumping off of your ideally, because it triggered, it'd be really cool if they decided they didn't have enough to put out a full source book on it. If they took that and Shadowfell and put it out as one book and they put like a split cover on it. So you got like the two different worlds. That would be hot. A Faye Shadowfell book. I think it'd be amazing. And I think if they're going to go that route, which by the way, would be my highest wish. I think we would know that by the next UA. Yeah. If we get a Shadowfell. Yeah. yeah. If we see some Shadowfell. If we get something that's heavy Shadowfell influence after Tasha's, which had a heavy dose of both. And maybe it's a three-way book. Maybe they throw in Psionics as a third option. So you get all three of those. That would be worth 50 bucks. Easy. I think at that point we might be getting too much into it, but it'd be cool. Well, all right. It's it's always cool. Nope. Yeah. I mean, I, I wonder if, um, I, I, I agree with both of you. I, I don't know that we're going to get a fully Feywild book, but I wonder if we're going to get, you know, similar to the way that we saw like Sword Coast and then, you know, we, we've seen the Theros book. I wonder if maybe we're going to get like an Evermeet book or, or something like that, um, you know. Who, who knows? I'm, I'm not really sure because, you know, then they could tie in things from Tomb of Annihilation with the Spell Plague and they could tie in, they could tie in Ravenloft. They could tie in all these different things. Um, so I don't know. Uh, I guess we're going to wait to see what comes out in the next UA. And, and man, a Fae Shadowfell book, I think, would be prime. I think that'd be amazing. So, um, all right. So let's go ahead and put a cap on it for there. Um, you know, we hope that you guys uh, have all enjoyed our ideas. We'd love to go ahead and hear your ideas as always. Um, but with UA content, we're going to emphasize this point once again, because it's really, really important that you all fill out the survey for the UA when it comes out. At this point, uh, it has not come out yet, uh, but if it comes out in the near future, we'll make a big deal of it. We'll make sure to put it on on the Facebook group and in the Twitter feed uh, and on the webpage. Absolutely. We'll make sure to make a big deal of it because, you know, if 
getting feedback back on this UA. Um, that's why Wizards of Coast is putting it out. They're putting this out there and asking you to go ahead and comment on it. And we've got some comments on this. I'm, we'll be able to fill out a ton of feedback on this. We hope that you guys have uh, have enjoyed uh, the UA also, and we'll be filling out that survey when uh, when Wizards comes out. So let's go around for some final words. Uh, Glenn, anything else you want to add? Um, well, I think that the whole thing adds a whole lot more flavor and fun than I thought they were going to be able to do in just a few races. When I heard that it was just a few races instead of, you know, some more information, I was like, I don't know, but they were, they were a good time. I had a lot of fun with it. So, you know, pick your favorite Faye race and roll up some uh, character and go have some fun with some Faye bullshit. Wow. How do you follow that, ladies and gentlemen? All I'm going to (laughs) do is say, I absolutely loved this content and more than I loved the content, I loved what my co-host brought to this content. Josh, what you did and Glenn, what you did in talking about your characters were inspirational to me. I appreciate the fact you said I had the best one. I don't necessarily agree with that, um, though mine was a lot of fun to do as well. What I can promise you, Josh gave a spoiler for his folks at his uh, game table. I can promise you the folks at my game table, you are guaranteed to see this. And for those that game in the far white north, uh, let me tell you, you're going to see a snow or frost fell type version of of these. I'll, a, snow I'll, owl, I'll, a snow owl soul knife. Pudge can take oh, them. Pudge can take goodness. them, man. Oh, it, we're, we're going we're gonna to have some fun. We are going to have some fun. And that's really why we're doing this. We want everybody to be able to listen to this content, read the types of content we're talking about. And get out there and have some fun. Yeah. Faye. Absolutely. All day, every way. Thank you for joining us. This has been Tabletop Journeys. We would love to hear your feedback on our show today. You can join us at www.ttjourneys.com, where you can subscribe to the blog to leave comments and see all the content that we publish beyond the podcast. And make sure you join our growing online community. You can follow us on Twitter at ttjourneys, And join us on Facebook just by searching Tabletop Journeys there. You can also reach us by email at podcast at ttjourneys.com. And if you want to catch early access to our episodes and some of the other benefits we have coming down the pipeline, you can also support our production at patreon.com slash ttjourneys. If you're listening to us on Stitcher, iTunes, Podchaser, Spotify, Audible, or any other podcast platform, we would really appreciate if you would like and subscribe to the podcast episodes come out every week on Saturdays and every Wednesdays will feature our side quest series where we talk about pretty much anything tabletop oriented. Thank you all so much for listening and for being a part of our growing community. And in the words of another traveler on our path, we bid you shade and sweet water.